I want to take you to 1 John, that short epistle near the end of the New Testament. And uh, just talk about the battle that we're in for truth. Um, you just don't know what's true anymore, right? You really don't, especially with news. So the more I pull back away from it, the better I feel. I, I'm in a much better mood. But you just don't really know what to believe. And there's, there's uh, fact checkers that you can go to. But, you know, it's just like check everything out. <laughs> Check everything out. First, confirm everything. Um, when Jesus said in John's gospel, he said, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. Now, that became an issue when he's standing in front of Pilate in this philosophical thing called truth. You know, Pilate was like, What is truth? But, um, what Jesus was getting at, though, was that he was the embodiment of everything that was true to the point he, he kind of finished that statement. You remember what he said after that? No one comes to the Father but by me. He even said, I'm the door. There's no way else to get to God. He says, everybody else that tries to go a different way is what? They're a thief. They're trying to circumvent the purpose of God and the plan of God. So he is the door. He's the only door. There's no other door to fellowship with the Father. But the battle of truth is, is ongoing. And the reason there's a battle for the truth is that there's still an active adversary out there whose uh, motivation is to disrupt and impede the purposes of God. Um, uh, Diabolos is, um, is the word in the Greek, and, and it's uh, Diablo is the word in Spanish. But Diabolos is an interesting construct. It, it's uh, dia meaning through, and balos meaning to throw. And it's to throw against or throw through. And, and the very nature of that word and his character is that he's just an adversary. He's opposing everything about God. He's just... He doesn't have an agenda of his own other than he wants to disrupt God's agenda. He wants to attack everything, anything that God is doing. And especially he went after Jesus and he, went, and he comes after us. He wants to disrupt the purpose of God in our lives. It, there's an active ongoing battle, is there not? There's a spiritual warfare going on. And sometimes we feel that battle getting intense at times. But it's because we have that adversary and, and, and the if he just appeared the way that they paint him, we would recognize him more quickly. If he just showed up in a red outfit with horns and a pitchfork and this outfit on, it'd be, oh, there's the devil. But the Bible says he shows up as an angel of light. He disguises himself. He, he is a master of disguises, and he disguises. It doesn't matter. He's going to try to just do something off the wall wrong or false. He just wants to do it a little bit, insert a little bit of deceit, a little bit of a falsehood. Um, Jesus was having this back and forth with some people, and he ended up telling them, you are of your father, the devil. You're of your father, the devil. And he, and he says this, that lying is Satan's native language. Jesus said that lying is Satan's 
tongue. It's, it's what he says all the time. He lies, and he is the father of lies. And so here's Jesus in Matthew 24. Uh, I'm just going to preface a few things before we get into 1 John 1. Um, one of the things he warns his disciples is about false messiahs, false Christ. And he says they're going to try to infiltrate the church. The false Christ out there among the pagans is, is not a danger, but false prophets are a danger to the church. False teaching is a danger to the church. It's not a danger to society and culture. It's a danger to the church. The church is to be that light, that shining light that is not covered up, but is set on a hill so that all people can see. The church is supposed to be the light of God in our culture, Right? So this is why he's after to kind of break down our belief system and insert things that are not exactly accurate. Some of you might hear of or recognize the name Polycarp. Uh, he was a pastor of a church in Smyrna. Um, and in 155 AD, he was, he was 86 years of age, which is a long time to live back then. And he was active, still active, pastoring that church, leading the church in Smyrna. And um, he, was, he was burned at the stake. But the interesting thing is that the people, it's just the local authorities that had a problem with him. They were tired of this feisty man that was constantly addressing the wrongs of culture. And, and uh, one of the things that Polycarp was known to do was he would confront the Gnostics and and he was so persuasive that he really led a lot of Gnostics back to the truth. He also fought Marcion. He was um, a heretic. Um, the story goes that on the streets of Rome, and Polycarp was in Rome, Marcion uh, met him on the street. And Marcion recognized him and walked up to him and said, Do you know who I am? And he says, Yes, you're the firstborn of Satan. You're the firstborn of the devil. And that was it. He didn't really want to have a discussion with him. Because of the heresy that Marcion was trying to introduce into the church, he was declared a heretic. But this is kind of like this passionate man of orthodoxy, an old man. And when they arrested him, he was told, says, you know, there's, they're, they're going to come after you. You need to run. And he said, I'm, I'm 86. I'm not going to run. And he even um, served refreshments to the, to the soldiers that came in to get him. But they had a public hearing, and they condemned him, and they ended up, the short story was, he said, well, do what you're going to do. It's in God's hands. And so they said, we're going to nail your hands and feet to this stake. And he says, no, you don't have to do that. I'll stand here. And he voluntarily stood there as they lit the wood around him, and, he, and they executed him by burning him alive. But I just wonder about the voice of Polycarp being so passionate for truth and why he was so diligent in trying to protect the people of God from error and false teaching. And, um, and when you think about persecution, the persecution in the first century church was not that widespread. And especially with Roman, Roman executions. And you say, well, what about Paul? Well, think about why was Paul in Rome to begin with? Yeah, he appealed to Caesar. And, and the issue was, they even said, if, if he hadn't have done that, we'd let him go. But it wasn't like Caesar says, hey, that guy's a troublemaker. Probably, uh, Nero probably didn't even know who he was. You know, but 
Stephen, Stephen wasn't executed by Roman soldiers. The persecution came from Jewish people, the Jewish hierarchy. They were the ones that stoned him. And he said, well, Herod had James the apostle, the brother of uh, John, son of Zebedee. But why did Herod execute him? It was a political move to, to you know, cave in to the wishes of the Jewish authorities. And, and they liked it so much he arrested Peter. I don't think either of these people mattered much to Herod. But it was a politically good move for him. And, uh, but Peter was miraculously delivered. And in Rome, Paul was executed, Peter was executed, but most of those executions was not like Rome trying to hunt them down and stamp out Christianity. It takes into the second century before Rome starts noticing them. And in the third century, it's like, we're going we're to have to do away with these people. These people, are, they don't take up arms. They were not a threat militarily, but they were affecting the philosophy of paganism, which ruled the day in Rome. And so there was like, that's when they put them out into the Colosseum and let the lines and they used them for sport and stuff like that. But uh, I want to take you the first part of John because John is, he lived a long time, miraculously lived a long time. They tried to kill him. But he writes this, uh, this short epistle because of one reason, and that was because there was error trying to come into the church. And when you look at the Bible, there's a, there's a number of places like uh, Galatians. Galatians was written by Paul because of the Judaizers trying to move in and mix in Jewish law with grace and all this. So a lot of Galatians was to deal with false teaching coming in. Uh, you have Corinthians that had a lot of excesses and problems there that Paul was correcting. You even had in Thessalonians and the church at Thessalonica they had problems, and there was false teaching about the, the second coming, especially the latter part of the first letter. And 2, two Thessalonians 2 is all about this thing about Antichrist and the son of perdition and what was going on. This was teachings coming to the church that was challenging the truth of the church. So there's a lot in the Bible. But I want you to see what John is trying to zero in on. Uh, and I think it affects us. I think it affects the day and time we live in, this battle for truth. I'm just going to start with the very first part of this epistle, and we'll see how far we get. How's that? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have handled, touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it. And testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's talking about none other than Jesus. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. In other words, we write this so that we can have a better feel about what is happening with you. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. Interesting, some of the lyrics we saw earlier. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not live out the truth. I want you to see how much truth is a part of this discussion. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth, here again, that word pops up, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purifies, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, what can we gather from these 10 verses? And I think when you look at the first three or four verses, it's really clear what he's saying. He says, we want to make sure you understand that the one we're talking about, we saw him, we heard him, and we touched him. He's a real person, real Savior, in flesh. He was among us. And he kind of goes to this extreme way of saying, this isn't like once upon a time. This is a real story about a real person who we, we touched him. We, our hands have handled him. We know him to be true. And this is all about the nature of Christ. And, um, and when you read, John is about to, you think, we're okay, this is just an introduction. We're going to get into the good stuff in chapter 2. But he lays out this light and darkness. Look at that. He, he associates with light with what? That's right. It's First John chapter 1. He associates light with what? Truth. And he associates darkness with what? Lie. And he has this, he, he's talking about people who are walking in light, people who are not walking in light, people who are walking in light. The word is in them, and the word is equal to the word truth. His word is true. So as you're going through this, he's kind of like giving us an idea of what's what in people's lives. If, if they're walking in the light as he is in the light, we have communion one with another in the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from our sin. The word is constantly, truth is constantly breaking down sin in our life. Sin actually either, either comes from one or two directions. One is something that we desire or have a craving to satisfy ourselves or we're being introduced to something that is not true and we accept it. And we get off base and we get into sin without really examining what is being thrown at us. <coughs> So he has this comparison with darkness and light. He also talks about confession. And you can kind of like gather from this what is the right confession, what is a, uh, an improper confession or a confession of falsehood. He said if we confess our sins, that's good, right? If we are honest about our sin with him, that's good because... He forgives us of our sins. If we're honest with him about our sin, he forgives us. But he goes on and says, if people claim that they haven't sinned, they're lying. And the truth is not in them. The word of God is not in them. So it's kind of like 
he's, he's really dividing the group and those who are in light and those who are in darkness. He didn't say sin doesn't have any role in our lives. He says we've got to own up to our own sinfulness. And if we do that, if we're honest with God, when we realize, hey, that's not the right attitude, that's not the right way to do this, this is, I didn't react the right way, you know, that is an operation of truth cleansing us, continually working on us, keeping us from developing a bad attitude. I remember someone saying to this discussion about can a Christian be demon-possessed? You know, and there was, you remember when that discussion was going on, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I remember one of these guys says, a Christian can have whatever spirit they want. And I guess that's true. I've seen a lot of people that were Pentecostal just have bad attitudes. You know, that, that's not the right attitude to have. And sometimes we need somebody who is who loves us enough to tell us, to pull us aside, says, you know what, I don't think you handle that really well. And that doesn't represent who we are about the Lord. And if you lose your cool, lose your temper, and you really know that that's not the right thing, the worst thing to do is justify it. And then that kind of puts you into this equation here. That you're like, well, that, if they hadn't made me mad, I wouldn't have lost my cool. No, because they're pushing the blame. They're not really being honest before God. Like, do you see how the word, the word that lives in us, that is really light, that shines on us, will not let us get away with that? The Holy Spirit, if we give him access to us and we're willing to listen to his rebuke, we don't get away with that. Because he will, he will nail us, and, and I don't want to say it that way, but he will... He will prompt us like that wasn't right. And many times it's ex it is, is almost immediately after it happens is that all of a sudden conviction comes upon us. And that shows we're really walking in the light even though we... This is kind of like when sin does pop up, deal with it. And His blood will cleanse us from that. His blood will continually cleanse us from that. You know, my, my idea of forgiveness was, and my name written in Lamb's Book of Life when I, was a, when I was growing up through church, is that there was a pile of eraser dust at the bottom of the stand where the Book of Life is from my name being erased and then written back in, erased, being written back in. Because sometimes you had to feel like you, there was no space for any mistake. And you were out. You're out. What if you did go to the drive-in theater and Jesus came? You'd be left. Because he's not going to take you while you're sitting in a car watching a movie on a big old screen outside. That's exactly how, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, please don't come tonight because I think I'm going to go with my friends to drive. I, I never did do that, by the way. Because in my mind, God would let my, my car drive over a bunch of nails and all four tires would go flat and, and it would, I would be exposed and then my body would be missing. <laughs> and nobody would ever see, from, see about me again. No, in my, you know, he said the fear of God, I had the fear of W.B. Lynn. That's what I had the fear of. But you see, what it, you see how we take things and we make that the teaching or the doctrine and, and that's, you know, I don't, 
you know, if, if, if you make a mistake, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, isn't it neat to know that the blood of Jesus continually cleanses you from sin? And you don't have to say, Lord, forgive me for everything I did today that I didn't know I did wrong. And I wasn't aware I did something wrong. And it's almost like we almost believe that we have to do that to keep the slate clean. That's, that's putting our salvation on us, really. On our praying. He says here, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus continue to cleanse us. Let me take you to chapter 2 of 1 John, because this is really where it gets interesting. And he even tells them a couple of times why he's writing to them. He says, my dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. And see how he's just like, he doesn't dismiss the reality that we might. But he says, I write this so that you won't. But if you do sin, and you will, he's kind of like giving us an idea of how God deals with it from a confessing believer, one who wants to walk in the path of light. He said, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. If you have the King James, he is the propitiation, which means a satisfying covering, a satisfying sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the, of the whole world. Everybody's sins has already been paid for. Everybody. It's just a matter of them confessing to him that they know that and they want him to be Lord of their life. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Again, here's this lying and truth issue. And the truth is not in that person. If anyone obeys his word, Love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. This is how we know the truth. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment, a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. The old command is a message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing, we're in this time where the light is shining, already shining, and the darkness is being driven back. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. And anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble, meaning they have light going on. But if anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness, in the darkness, and walks around in the darkness, they do not know what, where they are going, because the darkness has blinded them. I'm writing you, to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, and whoever does the will of God lives forever. And here is, to me, one of the, one of the sections in 1 John that really we need to ponder. Dear children, this is the last hour. This is the eschatos aura. This is the last hour. And that phrase is used at the start of that statement and at the end of it. But what he says between those two things qualifies what's going on today, what went on there, and what continues to go on. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come this is how we know it is the last hour. We know we're in the last time frame. They went out from us, but they, were not really, they did not really belong to us. In other words, they came out of the community of faith. They came out of the community of believers. These were not, these were not people masquerading in town from pagans' religions. These were people trying to say, we're Christian, but they're actually antichrists. They went out from us. They did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Here again is this truth coming. The truth about what? The truth about who Jesus really is. And if you know who He really is, you know what is not of Him. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you... See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things. Look at verse 26. I'm writing these things, things to you. And this is what Jesus said so much in Matthew 24 when He's telling them, and He says, be aware of what's going on around you. I write these things to you that you... To, to warn you about those who are trying to lead you astray, trying to pull you away from truth. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but His anointing teaches you about all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just it is taught you remain in Him. The last two verses, And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He appears, when He appears, we may have confidence and unashamed before Him in His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. If you go back and look at those words, this is probably the only place that the word Antichrist appears. Uh, we have like the son of perdition, we have false Christ, but Antichristos, And I think it would be great if, if that spirit wasn't trying to be so camouflaged. Because Antichrist does not mean someone who's against Christ. It's 
it's a masquerade. It's an imposter trying to pull people's attention away from who Jesus is or remaking Jesus to be a different Jesus than who he is. The spirit of Antichrist is not meandering out in the marketplace. The spirit of Antichrist is meandering within the church. And this is why John said this is a dangerous thing. This spirit is a dangerous thing trying to lead you astray. It's trying to pull you off course. We're in a battle for truth. We're in a real battle for truth. And I'll, I'll mention a couple of things here. Um, have you noticed that the issue of gay rights and same-sex marriage is kind of taking over our culture? And we were really shocked at the, the laws that New York passed that if a baby is alive after abortion, you just the doctor can kill the baby. Ten years ago, we wouldn't think that would be possible. We wouldn't think that's not America. Not, America wouldn't do anything like that. But think about where the church is trying to find its place in all of this. And to accommodate, a lot of mega churches do not want to take stand on social issues. Just don't want to tackle the homosexuality thing and gay rights, same-sex marriage. When, when a prominent person says, a very prominent person in American history who's still living says that he really believes that Jesus would endorse same-sex marriage, that's the spirit of Antichrist. That's remaking Jesus to be someone who he's not. And we are, would, would you agree with me? We are under a lot of pressure as to be careful what we're saying because of the backlash of being homophobic and anti-gay and anti-LGBTQ, whatever it is. You know, if you just say, I don't agree with that lifestyle, you're a hateful person. You can't, you know, love is like remaining to affirming and approving. And where, where are we? We're in a battle for truth. Polycarp didn't check with the city leaders on what he was preaching to the church in Smyrna. But it wasn't that long ago that the mayor of Houston wanted to know what the, wanted the notes from preachers' sermons in their churches to see if any hate speech was in it. And any speech that wasn't, that did not fit a welcoming culture. And this is where we're at today. And this is where the church is at. The church is here. It's now, we are now here at a crossroads. And we're so careful not to be mistaken, not to say the wrong thing. And it's kept us from saying the right thing. It's kept us from announcing what the truth is. The truth is that the Bible is not 99% accurate. It's 100% accurate. And I'm... You know, there's a, there was a man in the Mall of Americas. You know where the Mall of Americas are at? Minneapolis, Minnesota. I've been in that mall. It's, they got a roller coaster in that mall. It is massive. 
a former Muslim man who was engaged in a conversation with some, with some Muslim people that asked him about Christianity. Somebody reported him to the security and said he was talking to someone and, and pushing Christianity on some Muslim people. And they arrested him. They put him under arrest. I don't know what happened to him. But they arrested him in America, in the mall, talking to, to someone about Jesus. I'm not, I'm, I don't know where we're going to be, but I wouldn't, if, if we live not too much longer, if Jesus tarries, we may see some of this declared as hate speech. And that certain sections would be banned from reading in public and preaching in public. You know, when they gave the list of all those who had their place in the lake of fire that burned forever and ever, uh, there's, there's a pretty clear list there as to who, who is going to be judged of God. And we are at a point to where what, what do we do? What do we do? I think we need a little bit of polycarp in us. You know, we definitely need Jesus in us. But we need some boldness in us to say, there is a battle for the minds of people. And if you, and if you know everything that's coming through television and movies are now pushing this, this new way of looking at marriage and um, abortion, sacredness of life, the sanctity of life, and it's all coming against what is, we know is true. And it's darkness. And we're light. And light is stronger than darkness. Now, no doubt about it, the, the way we come across has to be in love. But again, I go back to Rosario Butterfield. When as an avowed lesbian in a lesbian relationship, and she, she would tell you she loved being in that relationship. She loved being in that culture. But some people, some ladies loved her enough to start reaching out to her. And a pastor and his wife reached out to her in the city. She was an English professor. She was an activist. She was an activist for gay rights. And, and um, they led her to the Lord. And she said in her testimony that the Lord had to save her from unbelief before he could save her from lesbianism. And once she was saved from her unbelief, he saved her from her lesbianism. And you can, you can Google her. She is now a pastor's wife and has written a book about hospitality and evangelism. How you lead people to the Lord by fixing dinners for them, inviting them to your house because that's what that pastor and his wife did for her. Invite her to, when she wrote a scathing letter to the editor about something he had written or vice versa, <laughs> he didn't attack her, he just... But she said, if somebody told me that God approved of what I was doing, I probably would have stayed on the path of darkness. And would have missed eternity altogether. But she said, I love people enough, I'm going to tell them the truth. And boy, is, 
that might be a delicate move right there, right? But we're going to have to really say, Lord, I want my heart to be right. And when we have a chance to engage someone in that discussion, to love them with truth, to make sure it's loving them with truth. Light might be going out, so. We're not of the darkness. That light cannot do that. Well, let's stand together. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the rest of First John. I'll try to next week. Because John saw danger, and I think Paul saw danger when he met with the Ephesian brethren in Acts 20, and he said, you know what? When I'm gone, false prophets are going to try to work their way in. There are going to be wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're going to try to devour the flock. But you guys are now in charge, and you protect that sheep. You protect the sheep. God's put you over a flock. You guard them. You keep falsehood away from them. And uh, he said, because it's coming. It's not if the wolves will show up. They will show up. And they will try to devour the sheep. 